Welcome, everybody, to NWCZRadio.com, Channel 1's Down the Rabbit Hole. My name is Big D. And I'm Brandon. And it is fantastic to be here. Thanks for listening, tuning in, downloading, whatever it is that you're doing, however you're hearing us. We really appreciate it. And we're excited about this episode because we've uncovered a lot of pretty far out there stuff, things that probably most of you have never heard. Yeah. I mean, I thought I knew a lot about this family and about Charles Manson and their interactions. I'm floored. I'm blown away. So buckle up. It's going to be an interesting ride. Before we get to it, though, I want to remind you, you can reach out to us at downtherh at protonmail.com, downtherh at protonmail.com. And a big thanks to all the platforms who carry our program, all the podcast platforms, all the radio stations, the Internet stations, everybody who puts us out there so that you can hear us. We do very much appreciate that. Woohoo! And it is nice. I mean, it's one of those things for us to be able to, you know, to know you guys are out there listening is just, I mean, amazing. And I, we love hearing from all of you as well. And I don't think we talked about it last episode, but really quick, I just want to give an update. We did do uh, some FaceTime or what was it, Zoom meetings? Zoom, yeah. So we did some Zoom with a couple of listeners, one in England, one in Texas. A lot of fun. Very nice people. It was very interesting. It was great to get their perspective on things. It's just meet them, chit-chat. And then we, we did a call with a listener in California, sort of in the L.A. area. And that was a lot of fun. So that did happen. And we'll probably do it again sometime in the future. And obviously, we'll pick different people. But that was a lot of fun, don't you think? It was. I mean, because it was we got to hear different ideas and different things that people want to hear. Um, and just, I mean, their, their thoughts on what we do. I mean, it, it's amazing to, I mean, we see the emails, we st- see stuff like that, but to actually talk to them and just find out, I mean, you know, we really do have people out there that enjoy listening to us um, and talking to them and finding it out was just amazing. Yeah, I was writing furiously, you know, like all the different ideas and, oh, yeah, and the feedback and everything. It was great. It was it was a lot of fun. So thank you. Those of you who we talked to, you know who you are. We had a great time. We really appreciate it. And we just appreciate the fact that you invited us into your home or your space or whatever it was and just spent a few moments with us. It meant a lot to us. It did. And I mean, it's one of those things. I mean, I know a lot of people do it just to like, oh, hey, you know, but it meant a lot to us to really listen to the you know, I guess, I mean, how fans, I guess is the right yeah, word. You it was know, feedback from people who listen to the show. And it was feedback from people who care about the same things we do. So, I mean, it was awesome. It was great. Yeah. So anyway, let's get into today's topic or subject, however you want to put it, because we're, we're going down some deep rabbit holes today, folks. Uh, yes. But before we get to where we really dive deep, let's just do a little recap, because last week we talked about Charles Manson and the family and sort of how they came together, the the official history, I'll just say official in air quotes, because that's the well-crafted narrative that has mm-hmm. been worked over for years and presented to us in a nice little package. And now here's what happened. So it all makes sense. And everybody just accept it and go away. And it's this beautifully wrapped package with a bow on it saying, boom, this is what happened. Yeah, we've had books and we've had movies and we've had all kind of stuff. 
you know, about yes. that. And it's the same story. But is it the true story? Is it the actual story? And as with most things, there's a lot of loose ends that have not been wrapped up. They don't want you to know yeah. about it. When I say they, it's usually the people who may have been involved or knew way more than what was actually going on and wanted to keep all that stuff under wraps. And so we're going to try to dig into some of that. But we referenced last week that once Manson and his family really ramped up and really started dropping their LSD and they were living out at the ranch that it was a short period of time when they actually did the killings. Yes. So I thought we'd go through just a real quick timeline just to show you kind of how these things work because it actually started on July, 1969 accompanied by family members, Manson follower, Bobby Boussoulet kills acquaintance, Gary Hinman and writes political piggy on the wall with Henman's blood. And about two weeks later, Boussoulet is booked on murder charges. Now, remember that whole thing about political piggy, because later on in the show, that's going to come up. Yes. August 8th and 9th, 1969. So this is a month, maybe later or less. Uh, Atkins, Krenwinkel, Kasabian, and Charles Tex Watson go to... Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski's house. They kill Sharon Tate. They also kill Abigail Folger. And a lot of people recognize that name because, yes, she was the heir to the Folger Coffee Fortune. Yes. Also on site was Wojtek Brykowski, Jay Sebring, and Stephen Parent. Atkins writes the word pig on the front door using a towel dipped in Tate's blood. And if you've never seen it, there's a very famous photo. It's really creepy of Roman Polanski sitting in a chair out on the porch and that front door is, is kind of propped open and the word pig is still on it. It's a very weird photo. Don't know why they took it, why he was sitting there. Very strange. Anyway, August 10th, 1969, Ben Houghton, or some people say, people say Houghton, Watson, Krenwinkle are dispatched to kill Leno. Is it Leno or Leno? I've heard it both ways. I kept hearing it as Leno. Okay, we'll go with Leno. So Van Houten, Watson, and Krenwinkel are dispatched to kill Leno and Rosemary LaBianca. Although they weren't dispatched, let's just pause there. They were not dispatched to kill them specifically. Yeah. They were just going to go out and just kill some people. It was part of their keep everybody uneasy campaign. Mm -hmm. And um, they also write Rise and Death to Pigs. And this is where they misspelled uh, Helter Skelter. And they wrote it in blood on the walls. A lot of people believe that the whole Helter Skelter thing was done at the Tate house, which is not true. No. And they spelled it H-E-A-L-T-E-R, like Helter Skelter, S-K-E-L-T-E-R. <laughs> but they're high, man. These guys are ripped on LSD and other stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, and everything. I mean, pretty much all of them. Like, they just did all the drugs. Right. So that's August. Then in the fall of 1969, Manson relocates to Death Valley. And he and some of the followers are arrested in October on suspicion of auto theft. Not the murders. Auto theft. Hmm. 
December of 1969, Manson, Watson, Atkins, Kasabian, and Krenwinkel are indicted on murder and conspiracy charges in the Tate killings. They're also indicted along with Van Houten in the LaBianca murders, and Kasabian eventually becomes star witness for the prosecution. Yeah. This happened in August, September, October, November, so four months later, basically. June 1970, the trial starts. January 71, jury finds all the defendants guilty. And they're all, uh, well, Manson, Krenwinkle, and Atkins are sentenced to death. Yes. Uh, 1976, Van Houten's conviction is overturned. She's later retried twice. At the third trial, she's convicted of two counts of murder and one count of conspiracy to commit murder. And then you flash forward, Atkins dies in prison in 2009. And in November 17th, Manson dies in prison. He's 83. Which also, too, if people are wondering how they're sentenced to death, they didn't die um, because they overturned the death penalty in California. I believe it was the year after they were sentenced. Right. So they got the death penalty. They just it wasn't executed. Yeah, because, yeah, California just repealed the death penalty. And made, so they got commuted to, to life in prison. Right. And so the rest pretty much all have been denied parole. I think one of them got out at one point, but that, it doesn't really matter. No. So let's look at Tex Watson real quick because it's, an, it's, it's a sad story. It's an interesting story. And then we'll look at some of the girls and then, and then we'll get into, I think, primarily the LaBianca murders because everybody knows about the Tate murders. And the LaBiancas were so random and because they weren't superstars or anything, they really got covered up yeah so tex watson was a guy from texas he was known as charles watson to his family his hometown is farmersville texas which is northeast of dallas he was a youth group leader in church he was an a student and a star athlete football basketball and track star he attended college at north state texas university he had a friend who moved out to California. So Tex Watson, he uh, took a job. His, his funds were kind of running low while he was going to college. He took a job with Braniff Airlines. They don't exist anymore, but I remember them. He was a baggage handler. And as part of that, he got free flights. So he would fly to L.A. about eight times in a couple of month period to visit this friend of his. And he fell in love with California. Charles Watson attended Cal State Los Angeles, and he thought he would finish his degree, but he dropped out after about a semester because he was just having too much fun, and he went off. He got a job selling wigs, which is kind of hilarious. He even like not just got a job selling wigs. At one point, him and somebody else actually started their own shop. Right. Selling wigs, which at that part, I was just like, what i know of all of all the things were wigs a big thing i i really i mean maybe i guess i mean this was the 60s i mean i guess maybe anyway one night he's driving home and he picks up a hitchhiker and this is according to him quote hitchhikers were pretty common on sunset and i pulled over to pick one up when he told me his name was dennis wilson it didn't mean anything to me but when he said he was one of the beach boys i was impressed so Dennis Wilson, 
of the Beach Boys is hitchhiking. Tech swats and picks him up. I mean, what are the odds, right? Yeah. So according to Tex, Wilson said, here's the way to my house. They get there, and he's Tex Watson's shock. He said the place was enormous, and he was even more surprised when Dennis Wilson said, hey, hey, thanks for the ride. Come on in for a moment. And this, again, according to Tex, he said, in the living room, there was a man sitting on the floor with his guitar surrounded by five or six young women. He looked up. And the first thing I felt was a sort of gentleness, an embracing kind of acceptance and love. And another man in the house introduced me and said, this is Charlie, Charlie Manson. And then they all got stoned. That's according to him. <laughs> I mean, the 60s, I mean, for the most part, I mean, I'll be honest, the 60s sound amazing. <laughs> you just ran around, you got high, and you're screwed. I mean... Right. Well, and a lot you of know. people believe that's when he joined the Manson family, but that's not true. He actually didn't move in with the Manson family or become one of the followers until they moved out to the Spawn Ranch. Yeah. And of course, this is where Watson got his nickname. George Spann, the 80-year-old nearly blind owner of the ranch, immediately placed Watson's Texas accent, started calling him Tex. Yeah. Here's Watson describing the events leading up to the murders. And this was in an interview. He says, quote, after about two weeks of taking these drugs and becoming just void of conscience, Manson said, hey, I want you to go out and kill these people, to go up to this place and kill everyone who was there. He gave us the orders, the directions. He told the girls to write something witchy on the walls. Here I was, a naive Texas boy without a conscience, thinking that the world was going to come to an end tomorrow. That's according to him. And uh, yeah. honestly, I'm not buying that. No. According to him, when they were at the Tate house, Watson recalled that Atkins woke up Frakowski in the living room whispering this message to her, I'm the devil and I'm here to do the devil's business. Watson and three others stabbed Tate and her friends dozens of times. Watson was the only one with a gun, and he shot the 18-year-old parent four times and Frykowski twice. And then at the... Um, and like you said, I mean, we're kind of glossing over this to, to, for quite a bit because you can find so much on this information. We're kind of trying to focus a little bit on some of the other stuff once we get through. So if anyone's listening to this now going, why are we just glossing over all this stuff? That's why. You can find the information on... The Tate murders, the LaBianca murders, I mean, all these very easily. We're going to get into the, the weeds of some of the, the stuff that you can't find so easily. Yeah, the weird thing is he converted to Christianity, and he has this, I guess, a ministry. It's called Abounding Love, and he it actually has a website, aboundinglove.org. It's called a global... That's text us? Yeah, it's called a global outreach, Charles D. Watson, former Tex Watson. And on the, on the main page, I'm looking at it right now, it has a picture of him, and then he has this whole links about Charles, how I met Manson, Helter Skelter, why the crimes, facts, what people say, how to be involved, and how to contact Charles Watson. It's a whole website. Well, and it's one of those things that, you know, a lot of people think a lot of the things that happened that he did is because, like, in the last episode, I did mention that um, he ate... Like, if you've ever heard of Belladonna 
route, I mean, it, it gets you really, really high. Um, he didn't just drink the, the the tea that they were making for that. He bit into it like it was an apple. Yeah, it's amazing he didn't die. Yeah, I mean, people are shocked that he didn't die. And there was some of the people that said they had some of the tea that was made from that Belladonna root. Um, and that it was, I mean, they said they were high for weeks. Like, still feeling the effects weeks later. And they just drank a little bit of tea. He literally took a bite out of it. Well, here's the strange thing, too, I think, about this whole him being a born-again Christian in prison. And look, I can't, I can't judge the guy. I don't know his heart. I have no idea. Like maybe he maybe he has I don't know but you know there's a lot of prison conversions but here's the strange thing he is a an ordained minister and Rosemary LaBianca's daughter supports his ministry wow that's shocking wow <laughs> yeah I'll put the link to that the abounding love uh, website in the show notes if you want to go over and look at that it's it's pretty interesting it's kind of chilling actually it's really kind of weird all right manson girls let's just look real quick the manson girls who they are because a lot of people you just hear about the family but there were some key figures there's leslie van houten some people or hooten she was 19 she dropped out of high school ran away she was part of the deaths of the LaBiancas. Although people say that most of the or all of the stab wounds that she laid down on the LaBiancas was after they were dead. Not that that makes any difference. And she it, it doesn't. But it's one of those things that um, I think Man it was either Manson, which there's I have questions on how much Manson was really the leader. But um, there's a lot of people that say that Manson had told Tex that to make sure each person stabbed him. Yes. So well, yeah, that way that they were all complicit. Spread the guilt. She in trial blamed uh, her use on LSD. So then you had uh, Patricia Krenwinkle. She met Manson in 1967. She basically left everything and went to San Francisco to be part of the family. And she went by Katie. She was one of the hitchhikers that was picked up by Dennis Wilson, later turned his house into... Uh, well, basically a flop house for the Mansons. But we went over that last week where he picked them up twice, actually. She was one of the major participants in the Tate's murder and killed Abigail Folger. She is also credited with writing Death to Pigs and misspelling Helter Skelter on the walls. Then you have Squeaky Fromm, whose real name is Lynette. She was not a participant in either of the murders. She's the one who tried to kill Gerald Ford. Yes. And she got close. I mean, if the gun hadn't jammed, she had him dead to rights. Well, and she and the, people are like, why was she trying to kill Gerald Ford? She was upset about the California redwood trees. Yeah. She did escape one time and got captured two days later. All these guys, that's another thing we didn't really get. Almost every single one of these, Tex Watson, they all either tried to escape multiple times or actually did escape and were caught and brought back. Uh, Susan Atkins did not participate in every murder, but she was there for the majority of them. She was present for the death of Gary Hinman and the Tate murders and the deaths of La Bianca. And she's allegedly the one who wrote Pig on the door in Sharon Tate's blood. So that's her thing. She was 
In prison, she got married twice. Uh, then there was Mary. I didn't Brunner. realize this. Squeaky, squeaky's out. Yes, squeaky. Yeah, I think squeaky she's the was only released. one who got out. Yeah, she was released. Um, Not that long ago. She was released in 2009. They believe she currently lives in upstate New York. Wow. Then there's Mary Bruner. She was the very first person recruited into the Manson quote family. She and Manson started a relationship in April of 1968, and she actually gave birth to Manson's son, Valentine Michael. But wasn't it proven that he wasn't biologically his? Or was that the other one? That was the other one. Okay. So she was charged with the murder of Hinman, but she received immunity to testify against the others. She was released and returned back to the rest of the Manson family who weren't in jail. On August 21st, 1971, along with two others, they robbed a gun store trying to steal as many weapons as possible because allegedly they were going to later hijack a plane and kill one person per hour until Manson and the rest of the family members were released from jail. Yeah, that's going to work well. Uh, you had Linda Kasabian... She and her young daughter joined the man's family in 69. During the Tate murders, Kasabian was told to gather the supplies needed for the family and then wait outside in the car. And she did. A few days later, Manson instructed her to kill an actor and not going, wanting to go through with it, she instead knocked on the wrong door. She uh, was wow. not arrested. She was never arrested. She was actually a witness. You had Catherine Kitty Lutzinger. She was not involved in any of the murders. She was arrested a few times, but never ended up convicted. And I don't know, nobody knows where she's at. You have Catherine Gypsy Cher. She maintained she had nothing to do with the murders, although she was arrested in connection with a shootout with police in Hawthorne, California. She reportedly recruited Manson girls like Kasabian and Van Hooten and spoke about how easy it was to become enamored with Manson. And she's apparently alive and happily married these days. So th those were the key figures of the girls. Which, I mean, and the weird thing is, I mean, if you go deeper into, like, the, the family and the girls and everything else, they all had different names. Yes. Like, they were all had, you know, the only one that had a really creepy one was Squeaky, but, yeah, we don't even want to talk about how she got that one from Spawn and, yeah. But, um, but all the other ones had, like, I mean, one of them, like, Patty was Big Patty, which it's one of those things you, I expected her to be big, but she's not. So I don't know why they called her Big Patty, but... You know, they had all these weird names. Some of them, like, just random names that had nothing to do with their normal name. They just decided to call them something else. And I think that was part of the, uh, you are now in this family, so you're supposed to shed off all the old, and now you're yeah. new, and so you have a new name, new identity, and you're part of this family now. That, that was very common. Most cults do do that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, just sort of shed your personality and start a new kind of thing yeah and then i think too patricia krenwinkel is the longest serving woman in california history right now yes all right let's just real quick go over the la bianca murders because i i just think they get sort of overlooked a lot they do most of the ones that I read and things I read. They they kind of mentioned them as a footnote. It was like, oh look, they killed Sharon Tate, a famous actor. You know, cut her baby out. Did all. I mean, it's horrible what happened there. But they really do kind of just gloss over the La Biancas. What a lot of people don't realize too is a lot of people believe that the reason they even did these murders was just trying to take 
to make it look like they were linked to Gary Hinman to get Bobby off to say, look, oh, Bobby couldn't have done this because somebody else did it. Yeah, they had a twofold mission. There was that, and they were also trying to set up a race war. Yes. Because uh, they were trying to make it look like it, it was done by the Black Panthers or just some random black people. And so then everyone would be really upset and this race war would finally happen. But here's well, probably too, one of the one of the things we didn't mention was Manson believes at this time anyway, until later he finds out he, was, he didn't, that he killed a drug dealer. Well, and that that he that that was part of, you know, he killed a drug dealer that he thinks was part of the Black Panthers that wasn't. Like there's a whole weird Yeah, and apparently uh, Dennis Wilson supposedly witnessed it. Yeah. That he took a machine gun and sawed him in half basically. Just shot him in half. And that's one that I heard too, but actually the one the one that he's actually credited with actually shooting and there's proof of, he only shot him once in the stomach. Right. And he survived. But then there's another one that they say that they think he like a different murder, which there's a whole bunch of other ones. If you start going down at ones that aren't proven in theories, ones that people say he did, possibly did. Yeah, we'll go. We'll, a few of those yeah. will come up as we get moving here. So Leno and Rosemary LaBianca, they were just an ordinary couple by all accounts. That's what's so weird and kind of scary about this. They say that the Mansons had never, supposedly had never been to their house, although Rosemary LaBianca had told her daughters about several times she came home and had a really creepy feeling because things had been moved. One time their dog was put, placed outside when they knew they'd left them in. And this was, that was a tactic that the Mansons used. We talked about last week where they were trying to unsettle America. <laughs> Make you feel unsettled by moving stuff around in your house. The whole Sharon Tate death has happened. And the LaBiancas, they're, you know, they're read about it. I guess Mr. LaBianca read it in the newspaper, was having conversations with the neighbors, and Rosemary was pretty distraught about it. But everybody was. Everyone was. It was not unusual. No, because it was a famous actress that had just been murdered. I mean... It's kind of like now when we hear about one of our favorite actors or actresses dying. I mean, this wasn't just one that died. I mean, savagely murdered in their home. So, of course, everyone in L.A. is like, whoa, and freaking out. According to this article, in, the, in May of that year, Rosemary had written to Leno Bianca's daughter about something odd in the house. Quote, we haven't had any robberies. But every time I come home, I expect to either find someone in the house or something missing. The LaBiancas had reported bizarre incidences to the police, objects in the house they thought had been moved or their dogs found outside when they had left them indoors. And then Rosemary wrote to her stepdaughter at one point and said, I think the police have stopped working on this case. And we know for a fact that that's one of the things they were doing, although according to the police and the evidence and interviews and so forth there was no evidence to suggest that charles manson or any of his followers ever broke into their house before the murders i mean how would they know there was proof i mean they they questioned there was there are reports that they did report to the police that they thought this had happened i mean yeah before it happened i mean they were concerned yeah. but they didn't know who was doing it no 
course, there there's no proof that it happened, but there's no proof that it didn't happen. There's strong, so substantial sure. evidence there. Yeah. So August 10th, 1969, Rosemary goes to bed, and Leno, LaBianca, he stays up, and he's reading apparently the sports section of the paper before he was going to go head to bed. According to all reports, and it's up to debate whether they actually targeted the LaBiancas or it was random, but most sources agree, and I don't know I don't know that I'm one of those sources, but according to most things I've read, they believe the family, quote, family made a random choice. And and it's all of this is premised on they had belong they had gone to a party at this guy named Harold True's house and he lived down the block. Yeah. Like a year before. Right, which seems kind of weird. According to Manson, The Life and Times of Charles Manson by uh, Jeff Gwynn. He wrote, quote, Charlie made a show of considering several potential victims. They're, basically, this family's out driving around. They're getting high on LSD, and, and they're getting all amped up because they, they, they got to go kill somebody. And at first, Charlie talked about, let's just go to a church and kill a priest. And then there was a driver whose car briefly pulled right up alongside of theirs, and they <laughs> talked about, can you imagine being that guy? Yeah. Like you just narrowly, narrowly escaped. So you never know what's going on around you. But the problem is, too, I mean, that guy probably just has no idea. He has no idea. He's going around his life right now not knowing that he was literally, like, one decision away from being a, a member of the, you know, a victim of the Manson family. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you never know. So according to the history of this, Tex was the first one to enter into the LaBianca house. And then the rest followed. They subdued the couple, promised, and they promised initially they wouldn't hurt or kill them. They were just there to rob them. Well, and that's one thing that they learned. A lot of people feel they learned, I mean, at least from their reports, they learned from the Tate murders. Because in the Tate murders, they flat out told them, we're here to kill you. Right. <laughs> so everyone freaked out, like, oh, well, they're here to kill us. We better, like, fight back. Where if you go into the LaBiancas and you're like, oh, we don't want to hurt you. We just want to rob you. They're like, okay, we're not going to, we're going to be a little more relaxed. Yeah, take what you want, just fight. leave. Yeah, take what you want, leave. There's some people that say that even, you know, LaBianca even said, hey, because I think they own a store. I'll, I'll take you down to the store. I have tons of money in the safe and I'll give you all of it. Right. So once they did that, Manson, he left the house because he did not want to, you know, he was very cunning in this way. Because then he could then he could just claim oh, I didn't do anything. If you read the one from his words, in Manson's words, he actually admits he says at least this is what he's saying. He's saying that he went there because he hadn't been involved in the murders, and he thought that you know because he's a leader, he should be involved in one. Well, that was nice. And, he should at least make a showing. Yeah, he should make a showing. But he said when he killed, you know at least at that time he thought he'd killed the drug dealer, it was in self-defense. The drug dealer was coming at him. He shot him. He couldn't just cold-bloodedly kill. So he kept, he even turned his back on LaBianca, like trying to get LaBianca to come at him so that he could get that, like, the, you know, the self-defense and that rage of self-defense. And he couldn't do it. And that's why he left because he's like, I, I, I can't kill him. And he's like, yeah, you guys do it. I can't yeah, do it. he went out to the car and he told Patricia... Krenwinkel and Leslie Van uh, Houten to go in and murder the people inside. 
Yep. And make it look like the other ones. Yeah. I mean, it's really sad. I don't know if we need to get into all the details because Watson, he had a, a bayonet and he's stabbing Leno in the neck. And then Rosemary's in the other room. She's hearing all of this. And then um, she's fighting Krenwinkel and Van Hoot. The whole thing's a mess. The whole thing's yeah, out of huge control. Mess. Then they just they basically stabbed them all, stabbed them over and over again. By the end of it, Rosemary had been stabbed 41 times. And then Krenwinkel later recalled about the murder of Rosemary and Leno. She said, quote, you won't be sending your son off to war, she thought, and I guess I put war on the man's chest, and then I guess I had a fork in my hands, and I put it in his stomach, and I, then I went and wrote on the walls. And they wrote, rise, and also death to pigs, and then misspelled helter-skelter. Then they showered yeah. in the house, and mm -hmm. according, to, according to Krenwinkel, petted the dog and left. I mean, at least they petted the dog. Good I guess. Puppy. I mean, not that good of a puppy. It didn't really do very good at protecting, but... And then you're like, well, how's this going to start a race war? Well, apparently Manson got back in the car and handed a wallet to Rosemary and told her to drop it on the sidewalk as soon as they arrived in a black neighborhood. And according to Vincent Bugliosi's Helter Skelter book, Manson wanted a black person to find the wallet, use the credit card, so police would think they were the real LaBianca killers. And it would start the war. Yes. <laughs> but, but they were so high, when they pulled into a gas station about 20 miles northeast of the place, someone left the wallet in the women's bathroom. Not only did she leave it there, she hid it in the toilet tank, and it wouldn't be found for another four months. Yeah, that didn't work out very well. Yeah, so you don't hear a lot about that aspect because you hear way more about the Sharon Tate murder and stuff. Yeah. But this poor couple who, again, they were just your normal, average, everyday couple. If you believe the, the sort of random narrative, they just rolled up. and Although I think they had been there. I, I think it was one of the houses that they had picked before to rearrange stuff like they were doing. And they're like, oh, I remember this place. Let's go in there. Yeah. That's how it appears to me. It, it does. Um, it does. I mean, it's, yeah. One of it's the terrifying. things, we did, one of the people we did not mention last week, and we were, uh, we should have, we were talking about celebrities that they were sort of attached to. Candace yeah. Bergen is one. And Candace Bergen was the, girlfriend of teddy melcher and he's the son of doris day and he was the music guy that was that mm -hmm. was supposed to shoot charlie manson to start in the manson family to stardom and he backed off of it yeah well candace bergen was dating teddy melcher and this is what she had to say I lived in the house on cielo drive for two years and the reason manson knew that house was because the man that i lived with there was Terry Melcher, and he had been out to Manson's ranch and recorded Manson and his group singing, and they were counting on being huge recording stars. So Manson knew the house, and he was, as only Manson could be, pissed off that he was not the new Frank Sinatra. Then, Bergen says, quote, We then went to Terry's mother's house in Malibu, 
and one morning the telescope is missing from the front terrace and a message came to Terry saying, quote, by the way, I came by and took your telescope so I know where you live. Wow. Uh, she said they stalked him for a while. So Candace Bergen was one of the stars that was also involved in this. So again, ran in some interesting circles. Yeah. Speaking of crazy, let's get into the really crazy. Wait, that we're not into the really crazy yet? Uh, <laughs> so there's a book by Tom O'Neill called Chaos, Charles Manson, the CIA, and the Secret History of the 60s. It is wild, to say the least. According to this article, conspiracy theories have ringed the Manson case since 1969 with the allegations of dr drug deals gone bad, CIA-sponsored mind control experiments, celebrity sex tapes, and revenge after producer Terry Melcher did not give them a recording contract. And so you're like, what? According to the author, he says, much of what we accept as fact is fiction. Says both before and after the August murders, Manson and several of his members were arrested for various crimes, but never charged. And Manson was on parole at the time. O'Neill speculates that this may have led to some sort of later cover-up, meaning uh, meant to conceal the fact that inaction may have resulted in additional deaths. They also have pre a previously unknown telephone call that may have set the Tate-LaBianca murders into motion. In July 1969, Manson associated with Bobby Boussoulet and two female, quote, family members. Of course, you know, they killed Gary uh, Henman. Hoping to cast blame on the Black Panthers, they left the message political piggy scrawled on the wall in Henman's blood. On August 8th, Boussoulet made a jailhouse call to Manson because he had been arrested for the Henman murder and needed help. So he asked Manson to leave him a sign that they were going to help him. Manson repeated his, uh, this admonition to the foursome he sent to the Tate house just hours later, and the, quote, sign that they left was the word pig, presumably in the hope that police would think Henman's killer was still on the loose. O'Neill confirmed the call with two former detectives who, thinking they had linked the Henman and Tate murders, found their inquiries squashed by their superiors. Also, apparently there was some shadowy figure, possibly a CIA agent, who knew of the Tate murders before the maid discovered the bodies. Also, according to this article, the CIA was hoping to use unwitting hippies in the San Francisco to study the effects of LSD, the director of the Haight-Ashbury Free Medical Clinic, investigating whether amphetamines led to violence and even suggestions that a man tied to Lee Harvey Oswald, assassin Jack Ruby, may have crossed paths with Manson and used him in some kind of unofficial mind control investigation. And according to this author, he said, my goal isn't to say what did happen, is to prove that the official story didn't. And it gets deeper. According to this O'Neill, he learned that Manson was far more connected to the Hollywood and the entertainment industry than initially believed. In fact, there's compelling evidence that Manson was a figure somewhat similar to Jeffrey Epstein, who was connected to high-profile figures through a child trafficking operation. Manson... That makes sense. Yeah, Manson was very good with 
getting these young underage girls to join the, and they were all becoming hippies, and he would just round them up. O'Neill's research suggests that Manson was popular in Hollywood because he trafficked these children to various record executives, famous entertainers, and rich patrons. Also, according to O'Neill, the Manson family, so him and his cult, seemed to be protected by the government and local law enforcement because they committed multiple crimes while on parole. They were released on, on almost every occasion. He said one of the most interesting angles revealed in this new research is that the Manson family was in regular contact with a notorious doctor who worked in the CIA's MKUltra mind control experiment. His name was Lewis West. He was the UCLA psychiatrist who performed Jack Ruby's controversial psychiatric evaluation and was a major player in the CIA's mind control experiment. He sounds familiar. What was the name? Lewis West. So according to this author, O'Neill, this is how this worked. So this Lewis West was fascinated with the hippie subculture and conducted open-air experiments in San Francisco's Haight-Ashbury neighborhood. And we all know that did happen. Yeah. In one case, he set up a fake, quote, hippie crash pad in the community so he could secretly observe the hippies in their natural habitat. So he's like Jane Goodall here. Uh, the CIA also set up a free medical clinic in the neighborhood under the pretense of giving them, quote, free medical care, but with the covert goal of examining them and using them as test subjects. The Manson family regularly came through this clinic. And another psychiatrist who worked on mind control experiments with West even embedded himself in the cult for several months. Wow. According to other documents that I found, West was deeply connected with the Manson case, but was strangely absent from the trials. This is even more strange considering that he often took every chance he could to speak as a, quote, witness in cases where brainwashing experts were needed. Hmm. Of course, we know when Project MKUltra was discovered and brought out, most things were redacted, so we'll probably never know the actual truth on that. No. However, the, here's another one. West was working on mind control experiments involving the training of remorseless assassins using a combination of hypnosis, LSD, and sleep deprivation. So according to this author, he asked this question. Is it a mere coincidence that Manson used the very techniques to train once innocent people to kill on command? Just kind of ask yourself that. And it's kind of an interesting one. I mean, it comes back to that, you know, that w what we hear all the time is the the CIA mind control, MK Ultra. He, it was all based off LSD, which what did they do a lot of? Well, here's and here's another inter interesting thing. So Vincent Bugliosi was the prosecutor that went after the Manson family. He was mm -hmm. he became very famous afterwards. Wrote several books. Made lots of money and did you know, all the interviews and everything. But here's what O'Neill uncovered. The narrative created by prosecutor Vincent Bugliosi is a lie. And so Bugliosi was aware of O'Neill's research for a number of years and went through great lengths to intimidate him over his reporting of the case. After the Manson trials, Bugliosi made millions of dollars, you know, wrote books and everything, but his career was tarnished by numerous scandals, including witness intimidation. In one case, 
While he was up for election for district attorney, he beat his pregnant mistress until she had a miscarriage because she refused to get an abortion. And in another case, Bugliosi stalked his former milkman and threatened his family after becoming convinced that his wife had fathered a child with the delivery man despite a paternity test proving otherwise. So he was nuts. Yeah, and there's a lot of things. And a lot of what we know about Manson, or we think we know, we've been told for years, is based off his beliefs. Well, he wrote Helter Skelter. I mean, he wrote Helter Skelter. A lot of the stuff we know or think we know is based off his theories and his beliefs. And a lot of that stuff has been proven to be questionable. And here to me is the most bizarre. So this comes to us courtesy of Los Angeles Magazine. So this isn't, so, this isn't Alex Jones. This isn't some nobody listens to podcast just making stuff up. This was from an article June 1st. 1988 and the title of the article is in 1988 people still lived in fear of charles manson's quote satanic network and this author is michael bendrix and michael bendrix has a connection and and i I won't get into the whole detail but there was a, a there was a gown named marina habe whose body was found new year's day 1969 it fit all the profile of a possible Manson killer, although it was never proven, but she was raped and stabbed multiple times. A lot of the same things. Well, her mother, so this Marina Habe's mother, later on married this Michael Bendrick's father. So this is now his stepmother. And so now he is trying to help his stepmother, and so he's doing all this research and everything, And in a nutshell, a detective on the case believed that Marina was the random kidnapped victim of of a dope dealer biker named Spanky. What a name, Spanky. Yeah, not from the Little Rascals. Other familiars with the case believe it may have been the work of Charles Manson's family. According to a newscaster at the time of the Manson trials, even suggested that Marina had connections with the Manson family. So there there were some loose strings there. But here's where it gets really weird. So he started digging deep into who are these people? What, what are they up to? How did they get to where they're at? And here's how it goes. So this is in his words. It was in the hope of finding the story, at least completing a scene of what might have happened. I became fascinated with this book called The Ultimate Evil by an East Coast journalist named Maury Terry. And trust me, I'm going to buy this book. I can find it. After reading Terry's book, I reached him and arranged to meet him, and this is what he found out. According to this book, The Ultimate Evil, it presents evidence for an extraordinary assertion that a single satanic network existing primarily in California, Texas, and New York has carried out or has been involved in numerous murders, including, among many others, the Roy Raiden murder, Son of Sam serial killings in New York, uh, the bizarre ritual murders of Arliss Perry, and also the Helter Skelter killings and the LaBiancas. According to this book, the specific connections between Manson and the Son of Sam shootings is this. Although Manson and David Berkowitz never knew each other, 
they both belonged at different times on different coasts to the same umbrella, and he calls it a satanic cult organization called The Process, also known as the Church of the Final Judgment. The Process was begun by a guy named Robert de Grimston, a disciple of L. Ron Hubbard, who we know created Scientology, and was also a student of the late Aleister Crowley. According to the author Terry de Grinston, who lives on the East Coast, met Manson on at least one occasion in the spring of 68 in Topanga Canyon. Moreover, Terry says that de Grimston traveled in some of the same social circles as Manson and Manson's victims. According to the author Terry, these circles were all at least tangentially linked. One was the Sharon Tate circle that included Jack Nicholson, Robert Evans, John and Michelle Phillips, Jay Sebrig, Warren Beatty, Jane Fonda, Peter Sellers, Frykowski, and Abigail Folger. Another circle, the one Charles Manson was most often associated with, was Melcher, Dennis Wilson, and still another circle revolved around Mama Cass Elliott and including someone called Manson II. And according to the author, Manson II is some figure that's just as bad as Charles Manson, that, but they called him Manson II. And he couldn't find out what the guy's real name was. Also, the link between Charles Manson and satanic cults, according to this author, is not new. In the 1971 book, The Family, author Ed Sanders describes how in 1968, Manson was involved not only with the process, but with a chapter of another cult known as the OTO, Ordo Templis hey. Orientis. We've heard of that one. And their headquarters were in the Blythe. And the leader of this particular OTO chapter was Georgina Brayton, longtime Satanist who believed that a racial war between blacks and whites in Los Angeles would erupt in the summer of 1969. And, of course, we know that was a key theme with Manson. Yeah. Also, in The Ultimate Evil, he quotes an unnamed, and this is where I have a problem with the unnamed ex-FBI operatives, but take it for what it is. So this unknown FBI operative says, quote, Frykowski was the motive. He had stung his own suppliers for a fair amount of money, and, that it, and it didn't go well with all the people at the top of the drug scene. And to make it worse, he was upsetting the structure of the LSD marketplace by dealing outside the established chain of supply. He was a renegade. And according to Terry, while the sale of street drugs was controlled by motorcycle gangs, particularly Hell's Angels, upscale distribution was handled by a pyramid-shaped chemical dope organization that included, among other high-ranking members, a former Israeli who had strong links to international intelligence community, the CIA, and the usual suspects. And that's why they believed they were after Folger, because Folger was part of this pyramid scheme and that Manson turned on Folger over all of this, um, the drugs that they were selling that was benefiting her and everyone else in the house. And also, according to this, Manson was mad because Folger wouldn't uh, have sex with him. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, I could say it. According to the author, this author, Terry, Berkowitz told him that during a meeting of Satanists in New York, Manson, too, 
whoever this shadowy figure Manson to, claimed that Charles Manson volunteered to commit the Tate murders for a specific motive beyond Helter Skelter. But Berkowitz did not reveal to Terry whether Manson too had explained exactly what the motive was. And then he answers this question, why give this strange man Manson to credibility? Terry says that one reason is because in 1968, Manson too hung out in the same social circles as Charles Manson, and what's more, he was a member of the very drug organization that wanted Frykowski and Folger eliminated. I'll put this article, it's really long, and I will put the link to this because it goes even deeper, and, but we're running out of time. We are, but I mean, it's insane to think about, and this is where we run into a lot of these when we look at a lot of these things, where you see the, the story that we've been told. It's the one thing where you go look at these, like we said, if you, you we can find info on the, the story of the Tate murders and a little bit of the LaBianca murders very quickly. With you look up Manson murders, you find those. But if you try and find deeper, you have to look so much deeper. Yeah, so here, okay, real quick. Because I, I was intrigued by this Manson 2 guy. And this is what I found. According to this author, Terry, he's seen a picture and he describes him as five foot 10, 180 pounds with dirty blonde or brown hair, sometimes with a mustache. He was born in November 1948 has a high school education, spent uh, time with uh, weights to keep himself in shape, and he worked as a bodyguard, often for celebrities. He lived in Hollywood and used a store in the West Hollywood for a mail drop. Uh, Manson, too, was involved with Satanism since he joined the process probably in 1968, and he once tried to commission an artist to paint pictures of human sacrifices on the walls of nightclub, of a nightclub he was working at, and the artist declined. He has an arrest record and is a top suspect not only in the Ratkin case, but in an organized crime disappearance murder that took place in Washington, D.C. in 1977. Wonder what he was doing in Washington, D.C. Terry uh -huh. also says he has evidence that puts Manson II at one of the Son of Sam shootings also in 1977. I mean, it goes deep. So you have accusations that Charles Manson's providing, once again, the pedophile thing young girls to Hollywood and record producers. And look, before you say, well, that's crazy. That doesn't happen. Dutroux. That's all I can say. Remember Mark Dutroux. Nobody knew who he was, and he was providing young girls to all the top leaders of the EU. Mm -hmm. You know, before you dismiss that, it has been proven that this stuff happens. Nobody heard of Epstein until you heard of Epstein. Yeah. So, uh, and then there's the MK Ultra aspect, which is a lot deeper than most. Most people say, "Well, yeah, they kind of went to this clinic, and there was a, there was actually a doctor there." No, they infiltrated the family for a while. That's a lot deeper story right there. Well, I mean, that's the thing is most people are very quick to try and make this. They don't want to believe it. So you've got to, you got to make it seem less. And then you've got this group, The Process, which we're probably going to have to do a show on now. Nah. Ties to the Son of Sam. Again, I'm not saying this is true. 
but there's a lot of evidence here that people don't want you to look at. They want to misdirect you from. And that always makes me extremely suspicious. Which is why you want to, I mean, and that's the thing. Whenever someone's like, oh, yeah, don't look over here. Okay, well, now, I'm, now I can't stop looking over there. Yeah, I'm definitely, I mean, now I want to, to. I'm, I'm definitely going to order this book. And this guy uncovered, uh, there's a few of them that have un- uncovered some amazing stuff. It's a way different story than the nice, and I, when I say nice, it's not a nice sto- story. But the way it's yeah. presented is, we know exactly what happened. This is what happened. They were just high on drugs. Manson was an animal, and these guys did all this for him, and we put him in jail. End of story. Good night. Yeah. But it's way deeper than that. Because you do have to wonder, how does this guy, Charles Manson, and we talked about what a horrible, awful childhood he has, and he is a psychopath by that point. How could you not be? And all these Hollywood stars have no problem with this guy just and, and music, musicians and hip. They have no problem with him just hanging out and acting crazy. And, and he, he sucked as a musician and a singer. I've heard it. It's yeah. terrible. It is. The Beach Boys did steal one of his songs. But yeah, but, but, I mean, it's but one they of sound good, but he didn't. They, they do, but it's not even that good of a song, the one they took. I mean, it's, one of those, it's a B-side that like, nobody's ever heard of. If it wasn't for the fact that it's probably gotten more plays just because people have been like, oh, this is the song they stole from Charlie than anything, because it's one of those things. Because a lot of people forget the Beach Boys had some really good songs, but they had a lot of mediocre ones, too. Just like every artist. Yeah, it's a like I said, it kind of blew my mind what we what what I uncovered, you know, going this deep down this hole and and it goes deeper. It really does. But you, we've given you the point. We've given you the, the jump point to, to, to go, to like go deeper if you want to. And go. Because Definitely I've listened. Go. I've watched movies, documentaries, interviews. I've read Helter Skelter. None of this stuff comes up. No. Because it's, it's the narrative that we've been told that was told to us by the prosecutor because – that's it. That's the story we need to, ho- to to hold on to because if the prosecutor's wrong, then well, their convictions are wrong. Yeah, I mean, I did. I had no idea that the OTO. I'd kind of heard a little bit about oh, they kind of brushed up against MK Ultra, but the haha, that's you know, that's coincidence, you know. And of course, we all knew the drugs were going on and all that stuff. But I knew, man, I didn't know anything about any of these other organizations, some of the other mysterious killings like they they found a body out at the uh the spawn ranch like in the peripheral that they assume manson killed or his followers killed but they could never really prove it Mm -hmm. and there were several like that so we don't even really know how many they killed we really don't and we never will and of course we're never going to get to the bottom of it because even i think even tex watson again i'm not here to judge the guy as far as whether he made a conversion or not, but I read through all of his, on his website, his, you know, like about me and about Manson and why I did it and, uh, you know, what I've learned and all this stuff, how he met Charles, Charlie Manson, all this stuff. And really there's nothing there. It's just a lot of the same drivel. Yeah. So, I, I mean, if you're truly repentant, 
in my opinion, you would just pull the curtain all the way back and say, yeah, it was really horrible in here. But maybe he doesn't remember. Maybe he was so high out of his mind, he actually doesn't remember. And he's kind of reliving it through what other people are saying about it. That's a possibility. Well, it's like I said, that's what a lot of people think of the Belladonna, that he ate that Belladonna and his mind snapped. But who knows? Or maybe that's just an excuse. Maybe it never really happened, but that's the excuse that he put out there to say, oh, yeah, I ate this Belladonna. I went crazy. Tex Watson does say, just I'll end with this, that he agrees 85% with the book Helter Skelter by uh, Vincent Bugliosi. And he does say, although much of his research was a total surprise to me, which doesn't surprise me because he probably wasn't there. Well, and there's a lot of it, too, where like Charlie, before he died, came out and said that it was all crap, that everything he put was wrong. He's like, if you want to blame me, you can blame me. But there's a whole bunch more and a whole lot of names in there that you're missing. But who knows if that's truth or just Charlie being Charlie. You can't trust a word Charles Manson says. He he was a he I sociopath. Think he, was batshit, he was batshit crazy. Yeah, he was a sociopath, but he had a a street brilliance. Is oh yeah, I'm gonna put it. I mean, not I wouldn't say a genius by any right. I mean, he didn't have like I mean he wasn't a genius like as an Albert Einstein style genius, but street smart. Well, we we went over because that. Because he had to be. Yeah, yeah. we had, went over that. I mean, he, he, had to be. he his whole goal in life was just to survive. He was a survivor, and he figured out how to do it in any way possible. Anyway, that's going to wrap up our two-part episode on the Mansons. And there's a lot more. Maybe we'll come back around and revisit it later. I do know we're going to go over some of these things we've, we've uncovered that I think go off in a completely different direction. But... Yeah, uh, that will go on the list. But in the meantime, hey, you've got the midweek. I do, I do. Um, and I, we talked about it. I think um, I think I'm gonna do one about the same same era, a little bit different take on it. But uh, another, I think I'm gonna do Patty Hearst. Yeah, it's another fascinating one because the CIA is involved, government's involved, all kind of crazy stuff. It was a wild time. It really was. It was. It really was. It was. Oh, that was another thing. Some people believe the CIA put Charlie up to this because a lot of people believe that the 60s, the the hippie movement and all that stuff was basically created by the CIA as the sort of an experiment. And then they it got out of control. So they were trying to put a put a wrap on it and kind of kill it off. And that mm-hmm. they figured, well, here's this nuts guy. We've known him in the system. You know how they love to pick random people to do weird things. And so some people believe that the CIA chose Charlie to do this to put a huge negative on the whole summer of love, flower power, hippie movement. And in a lot of ways it did. It, it, it was sort of a curtain call. It was. It kind of ended it. But a lot of things, if you really look at a lot of things, um, it was on its way out anyway. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was already it was on its downswing as anyway. So, I mean, it's kind of one of those things. I think it was just kind of like this put the icing, like the, the exclamation point on the end, like, boom, you're done. Right. Because then everybody can point to it and go, see, that's that's what happens when you do all of that. That right there. Yep. And, I mean, uh, even though it was already in its it was in its death throes, this was just the 
exclamation point on the end. Well, yeah. So the lesson learned uh, from the hippie movement, you can only stay stoned and relevant so long. After a while, you burn yourself up and out, and you have no brain left, and so there is no movement. Yeah. So, <laughs> And if we go by Charlie's example, it was about 18 months. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll be back next week with a brand new episode. And in the meantime, everybody, have a great week. Don't forget to email us down the RH at protonmail.com. If you have some other wild theories about Charles Manson and the family, or you know something we don't that we didn't like touch on, feel free to let us know about it. We'll definitely check it out. Yeah, we'll check it out. And I mean, maybe one of those things, if we get enough, you know, people saying, hey, what about this? Maybe we'll do another episode just recapping what the, the listener said. Absolutely. All right, I'm Big D. And I'm Brandon. And we're out of here. See you later.